Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. Our sermon text this morning will come from the epistle passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And as we look at this text, it's as if we're jumping halfway through a conversation that Paul is having with the Christians in Corinth. Now, some of us may remember uh, in the 80s, when uh, Chrysler Dodge came out with their K car, I think it was, uh, his last name was Maltaban, a Spanish actor, talked about the Corinthian leather. Ricardo, thank you. Ricardo Montalban. And talked about the rich Corinthian leather in their new cars. Well, Corinth was known for its opulence. Uh, We could see it as like the Paris of the ancient world. It was a seaport. A lot of gold and spices and leather goods went through the Corinthian port. And like uh, often happens, the culture had influenced the church in Corinth. Some estimate that there were probably 30 to 100 Christians at this point in the history of the church in Corinth. So imagine living in Paris, and we're the only Christians. And then imagine the hostility of what was going on in this epistle going on in our parish. Sexual immorality, excluding the poor from Holy Communion, and not only was the priest getting drunk, everyone was getting drunk at the communion rail. A lot was happening in this church. And then you add to this The fact that other preachers were coming into town. And because of the humble nature of the Apostle Paul, these other preachers, who called themselves super apostles, were criticizing Paul for his lack of opulence. He wasn't someone that you would expect when you walked into the room, was one of the most important apostles in the first century church. Uh, he was small, had bald, a bald head, had some type of physical ailment, probably an eye disease, and he wasn't a very good speaker. And so Paul comes to this chapter after telling the people of Corinth that the thing that he wanted them to know most 
was the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The other preachers, more like Joel Osteen of the day, were talking about prosperity. If God loves you, you're going to have good health, fine clothing, a big bank account. And they would say, then look at Paul. What a sluggard. And so Paul says this, how, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward to be found faithful. And so Paul sees himself as a steward or he has a fiduciary responsibility for two major things. The message that Christ gave him and the sacraments that Christ gave him. Well, what is the message? He tells us what the message is later in chapter 15, where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? It's the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to what I preached to you. For I delivered to you of first importance what I saw also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. That's the fundamental, the kernel, the acorn of the message. That message, when you plant it into the ground, then grows into a monstrous oak. That death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul said was fundamental isn't merely a myth or a fairy tale. It was a historical event, and not merely an historical event, but that event is to permeate every pore in the Christian body. Every thought of the Christian mind. And Paul says, moreover, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful, that he be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. The Corinthian people were judging Paul. And we all know what it's like to be judged. And one of the major themes of Advent is that judgment is coming. When Christ shows up, judgment is there. When he came the first time, he came to receive the judgment. When he comes the second time, he will pass out the judgment. When he receives... When he comes as the preacher preaches, rest or judgment happens. The people who receive the word of God rest in that word, rest in the work of Christ. The people who reject the word of God will be judged for that. When Christ shows up at the table, rest or judgment occurs. 
the people who come with arrogance or lack of humility and having not repented will heap judgment upon themselves, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 in this same book. The people who come humble, repentant, forsaking their sin, receive rest. Because Christ has taken the judgment for us. And so judgment is all around us. We judge people. Remember when my kids were young? And you'd meet an old man in the park and he wanted to give the kids candy or he wanted to take a picture of the kids or he wanted to hug the kids. You're judging that guy. I don't think so. When they wanted to go on sleepovers, you'd look at the family and you would, you would critique them. Are my kids going to be safe in that house? We judge all the time. And Paul says, I don't care if you judge me. Your judgment means nothing to me. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. You know, some of us, when we critique our lives, are too easy. We've learned to dismiss, dismiss our sinful activity. We, we have become deluded in our own thinking. Others of us are too harsh on ourselves. Every little mistake we fixate on. And we think about it all night as we're trying to fall asleep. So Paul says, I don't do either of those. I don't judge myself, and I don't care what you think about me. And that is an incredible place of freedom. When you really don't care what other people think about you, but what you do care about, and what is the most important thing, and what is the goal of your life, what does Jesus Think about me. And that's what he says in verses 4 and following. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am that thereby acquitted. I'm not dismissing my sin, but I'm not fixating on it. I'm not overly critiquing myself, but I'm also being careful. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Who will bring light to light the things that are now hiding in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Paul has a level of freedom because he is concerned fundamentally and only about what Jesus thinks of him. Many of us get fixated or are in bondage about what certain people think of us. My mother, my father, the neighbor, my boss, the head of the club, the people around me at work. And we care more about their opinion. What would mom say? What is dad thinking? Is dad happy with me? Is mom happy with me? Mom's critical of that. Is dad critical of that? 
And Paul says, I don't care about any of that. The only thing I care about is what does Jesus think of me? What does Jesus think of me? Because he says he will bring to light the things that are now hidden. We open our service every week with the collect of purity. And we acknowledge that God sees everything. There is no hidden place with God. There is no darkness with God. God is pure light and all-knowing. He sees everything that goes on in our lives. And so what, our, what, sh- what should our attitude be towards God and his omniscience, his all-knowledge, and his all-seeing? The thing that most people struggle with the most, humility. Humility. Coming before God on your knees, saying, Lord, I have been struggling with the same vice for 50 years. I have been struggling with the same sin my entire life. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that I have in you. And then he ends with this sentence. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. How do we receive the commendation from God? Which is basically, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, we bow before him. We acknowledge our sin. We repent of it. Repentance means to hate what we have done and to the best of our ability, by the grace of God, to turn away from it. And as we turn away from our sin, we're turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And our liturgy is basically a rehearsal of that each and every week. If we understand, and we really mean what the words in our liturgy say, we start by acknowledging that God sees everything, He then speaks his law to us. His word is spoken. His sermon is preached. We acknowledge our sin. And then the priest in the power of Jesus Christ pronounces forgiveness. And then we gather like his children around his table. And when he looks down the table at you, He sees a well-beloved son and daughter. Not because you're perfect, but because he loves you. And he looks down and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.